0: Okay, this is the sound check. Alright, check one two. This is biblical preaching. I have on my left Tom and
1: Phyllis. Oh. Oh.
2: Oh. Same words. This This is to my left (laughs) Tricky Nicky. That's way quieter than you talking. I can't. (laughs) So on my left, Tricky (laughs) Nicky. A sentence.
0: Yeah. If you would please. Talk how you normally talk. Oh, look, what's
3: this? It's very short. <laughs> very cool. So, whenever you are ready. Why'd that turn red? Oh. I maxed out for some reason. It's That was me when I did that. Okay. A moment of silence so I can record the refrigerator. Thank you. Take it. Take it away.
0: Welcome to yet another episode of Practically Theologians Podcast, where it is another snowy day here in Westcliff, Colorado. We're recording at one of the students' houses uh, in their kitchen. Uh, today I have to my left, who's with me? Let's see. Joshua, Yeshua, Josh, you could just say something if you want or say nothing, okay? Jeremy. Uh, Okay. There we go. That's better. (laughs) Andrew, am I right? Okay. Peace sign. Everyone's being very cooperative today. And then lastly, we have Matt. Hi. The esteemed
3: Dr. Reverend Matt. This is called Sink the Host.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You guys do it well every week. Uh, So again, we are at the seminary. This is the last and final of our biblical preaching uh, series. This is the fourth podcast. We are going to have links in the show notes of all the previous uh, three episodes, uh, and we'll also have the 10 stages that we're, uh, we've covered. Just briefly going through them again, if you're listening in the car and can't, don't have an opportunity to look at them. Uh, the stage one is to choose the passage to be preached. Uh, stage two, study your passage and gather your notes uh, using particular language and syntax. Stage three. As you study the passage, relate the parts to one another to determine the exegetical idea and its development. Stage four, submit your exegetical idea to three developmental questions. Stage five, in light of the audience's knowledge and experience, think through your exegetical idea and state it in the most exact, memorable sentence possible. Stage six, determine the purpose of your message. And then uh, today we'll be starting stage seven, where we're going to be thinking about the homiletical idea and asking uh, yourself, How this idea should be handled to accomplish your purpose. So, jumping into this, uh, again, definitions are key. Uh, What is a homiletical idea?
4: A homiletical idea is the main truth that you are trying to get across to a congregation or a study group during your sermon or Bible study.
0: So, uh, Haddon Robinson had three major ways that he uh, develops, uh, ways that he uh, goes about showing how you can develop a sermon, deductively, inductively, and semi deductively I'm sorry, semi-inductively. So, deductive sermons state the main idea or proposition right in the beginning of a sermon. Uh, Inductive sermons, uh, they state the, uh, in the introduction, it leads directly to the first point of the idea, uh, which doesn't come until... Uh, fully the the conclusion. And then the semi-inductive presents only the subject in the introduction, not the entire idea, uh, and the major points complete the subject throughout the message. So, uh, for you guys, you've all taught and teached in the classroom or preached in the chapel. How have you guys went uh, about developing your sermons and and why? We need to add a
2: an English course also. <laughs> the we disclaimer. Can, we can... <laughs> Anyways, sorry. All right, I don't know. I don't he know said, what to mean, do. You said teached. so we're. Oh, taught, yeah. yeah sometimes when I actually, translate... You actually said both, so whichever one's
0: right, it's in there. Sometimes <laughs> when throw I throw them all out there, I translate Hebrew, I've noticed that use Taught and teached. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. So, <laughs> how do you guys normally develop your sermon and why? Or, t- or lesson?
2: How do you um, go about doing it? <laughs> we have three people here who have more experience than two people here. matt's graduating so he should know precisely how to do this by now so any future um ministry opportunities are probably listening right now matt so make sure you don't mess up just do
1: it i think sometimes we have uh we try to define how we do things a little bit uh too quickly The passages that you look at are often going to dictate how you uh, preach it and how you teach it. There are some passages in which it's best for you to deliver your proposition at the very beginning and then support it. And then there are other passages where it helps to just present the supporting details and lead up to your main point and then ultimately to your proposition. Um, So... Oftentimes I would say that the scripture uh, dictates how I present it. Um, for example, Isaiah 6, I would consider it to be a more of a um, inductive sermon. We have Isaiah having a vision and we have the cherubim, or sorry, the seraphim and we have God. And all throughout it we see that it's God's call for Isaiah to go and preach to Israel, but it's not until the very end of the chapter that you have a full-fleshed idea of what Isaiah's ministry is going to do. So
0: so for me, I've only done deductively because I don't think I'm
3: ready to do (laughs) any other type yet, being a first-year student, but Josh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, so maybe just to make it clear to the listener, deductive is stating where you're going to go and then going there. Inductive is building up to where you're going and getting there is
1: that two? right so if you were to use an illustration <clears throat> deductive would be standing on top of the mountain seeing where you're going and then going through the mountain and ending up where you're at inductively started off on the trail and then once you get to the top then you realize where you were going
3: oh, deductive sounds much easier all downhill <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you. sorry go ahead I, I don't have anything else to say. That's about uh, it. I personally prefer deductive, but I can see where inductive would come in uh, to be to, would be
2: helpful. Yeah, I think what Matt was saying—it's really important to, to figure out the passage that you're preaching and uh, be willing to preach the passage in a way that honors uh, as best as possible, or when you can, I should say, that honors the way that it's been laid out. So, uh, like if you're if you're preaching something that Paul has written. Uh, he thinks very logically and, lin- and in a linear fashion. So it's easy to say, here's the main idea, and here's the uh, here's where we're going. Here's my main points to support it. And then preach through those points and then conclude and recap what you've gone over. But if you're preaching through a parable um, or, say, a narrative or something like that, a lot of times the main idea or the climax of the narrative or the passage that you're preaching is at the end. So if you're looking to preach that in a way that flows with the text, if you bring the main idea to the front, and then try to work your way to it, it might take away from the what the author was hoping to do, which is lead up to a point and then establish you there. So um, I think that now it doesn't mean that you should just force that into every narrative, but I think that it's good to recognize and be sensitive to how has the author uh, laid this out. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's no particular reason why he's laid it out a certain way, and you can kind of play with it a little bit. But a lot of times the author has a reason for why he's laid it out the way he has so just trying to figure that out as part of your study is important
1: and one other consideration is the audience um is your audience someone who needs to be told where they're going right away and then has that details uh, added to them to make it clear what you're saying Mm -hmm. or are some of them uh you know do they like the inductive style not that you want to you uh, base your entire preaching style on your congregation, but you do want to be most helpful to a wide variety of individuals. And that's ultimately, you know, what may help factor into different passages and different preaching styles.
0: So Matt, like how would you, how would you go about finding out what kind of style your congregation would, uh, lean more towards? Would it just be simply having conversations with them and, uh, just talking with them, uh, different settings about that?
1: Yeah, I think that that would be uh, most helpful. I think as you grow either as a Bible study teacher or a pastor or a preacher what, in whatever context you're doing, you constantly want to be talking with your um, y- your participants, your congregation members, uh, whatever you call them, and continue getting feedback and what you can help do to make things clear and more understandable for them and not just assume that you're hitting the mark each and every time. Um, And that's a good way to just continue to grow. Um, You know, there are going to be some weeks that it seems like one style works out better than another. And you you just got to take the whole of it and uh, decide from there. Mm. Um, But just having that open dialogue with your, with your participants is probably most helpful that they're not um, shy or fearful of, engaging you when they don't understand something or, uh, you know, a helpful critique. And, you know, for those of you who are participants, we're all human. We all have our different, um, faults and failures. If you do want to try to go and talk with uh, someone who's leading the Bible study or someone who's teaching or preaching and you have some helpful critiques, make sure you do it in a spirit of humility and peacefulness. You don't want to go and, you know, sharply criticize everybody who talks, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just a good, uh, you know, philosophy to have in general.
3: Yeah. Seems like the deductive style might be the most common style as far as um, how a person might normally preach. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, I think it's the most common. I mean, most of the mm-hmm. time,
3: you're not going to. It seems like that would be what you're going to yeah. be doing most of the time.
2: Is that. I think it's the most common because I think that you can fit the deductive method to pretty much any passage.
3: Um, so the point of the book is, though, and I just wanted to bring that up just mm-hmm. for the sake of the listener as an FYI. But the point of the book, though, was to develop your homiletical idea mm-hmm. and then figure out the best way right. to handle it. right, Deductive, inductive, yeah. or
2: semi-inductively. Yeah. yeah. So I think, well, first to Matt's point, I, I think that it is, it is important to have a pulse on the body. Uh, so, for example, if I study out a passage and I'm going to preach it in uh, in a Sunday school class or say even if I was going to go to a seminary class and teach this passage, I may communicate that or I may set that up a little bit differently than if I was going to explain it to my uh, nine-year-old, six-year-old, and three-year-old. right? So the way, I, the way I, did, I set that presentation up is going to reflect to a certain degree the audience or the, the congregation that I'm speaking to. However, I think that the primary... Uh, principle to keep in mind is we want to do our best to honor the text, which we've talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be wise to go into a passage saying, I'm not really sure how I'm going to preach this yet. Mm -hmm. Let me study it out. Let Let me see how it kind of comes together. And I may figure out that, you know what, an inductive method is the best. How can I design the, or how can I put together this inductive method in a way that my children can understand or the seminary class or wherever I'm going? But I think that way, we allow the text to kind of shape what it, what it looks like. I think the deductive method is the most common because it's easily overlaid onto every passage, but that doesn't mean it's always the best. Uh, I think a lot of times an inductive method is probably better, but it doesn't mean that you're going to do a massive uh, a mass, massive damage to the text if you do it deductively. Uh, but it's just that you might be able to bring out, bring out some more of the principles and points of the text if you were to preach it in a way, if you were to, um, if you teach it. In a way that was uh, <laughs> that more surprising. honoring, more honoring to the text. So I think just going into it not not necessarily being set one way or the other and allowing the text to shape how you're going to do it uh, would be it is a good way to approach it. And then see maybe the text doesn't even give you uh, a lot of direction one way or the other. And then I think you have a little more liberty in that case to say you know this could go a lot of different ways. Let me just figure out of the different ways that there are which one is is the most uh, clear. But sometimes I think you'll find the text dictates the way the best way to go
0: yeah I'd say for if you're uh, starting out I mean again this has just been my experience Josh uh but to start out with deductive uh I I think that's just the easiest one the most Mm. plain but again I I see your point that sometimes a text may call for uh an inductive or a Mm -hmm. uh, semi-inductive uh sermon
1: One thing I do want to just mention, your style of preaching may change as you gain more experience and more knowledge. And as Andrew put, you have a pulse on the congregation. So don't uh, think that you need to pigeonhole yourself uh, when you first start off and think that that's just going to be the only way you preach for the rest of your life. You know, feel comfortable to uh, continue to change and uh, adapt your preaching style to the different circumstances that you have. You may start off preaching deductively and find that you have a better grasp at uh, preaching inductively later on in your career, um, or you start off inductively and go deductively. Um, so, you know, f- these things that we're saying are helpful tips, but we're, uh, y- you know, we're aware that this changes throughout your life and your knowledge and throughout the knowledge of your congregation as well.
3: Yeah.
0: So unless anyone has anything else to add on stage seven,
2: Andrew, go ahead. Uh, just real quick. I think for the person that's listening to a sermon, I think that it'd be, it's important, while this might not seem to apply too much because you're not actually putting the sermon together, it's important to remember that what we're talking about here is where the main idea lands in the sermon. And that's important for someone that's listening to a sermon uh, to understand how is the preacher communicating this text to me and where does where is the main idea? Because if you don't if you walk away from a sermon and you don't know what the main idea was, uh, it's gonna be really hard for you to, to connect in your mind uh, what was that even about. right? There's a yeah. lot of a lot of information there, but I'm not sure how to actually make sense of it. Uh, so I think that as a, as a listener, we should always be trying to figure out and comprehend, all right, is what he's saying supporting something, or is it the main idea itself, and how does it apply to the text, and is it actually what the text is saying? So I think a lot of this is, is very applicable for um, listeners of sermons as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that's actually a good segue into stage eight, and the, the purpose of having an outline, uh, I think part of that is being able to communicate to the congregation in a way that is clear, concise where there's clear points being made and it's uh, formulated in a way they can get the main idea the main purpose and be able to walk away with something that they uh, can do or apply to their life so stage eight having decided how the idea must be developed to accomplish your purpose outline this sermon so how do you guys go about uh, outlining your sermon haddon robinson gives a a few ways but before i touch on him i wanted to uh, see what you guys
4: had to say I struggle through it for a week, and then I ask Dr. Zetler. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is very true. <laughs>
0: Humble wisdom.
4: <laughs> um, well, basically, I actually... One thing I try and do is, I um, before I outline my sermon, I outline the text, because oftentimes my sermon is going to follow my text. So I break the sermon down into its points and sub-points, and usually that is the same bo- uh, skeleton I use for my sermon. Okay, so when does the you finding the proposition come in
0: does do you see that happening first or do you like you said do you go out throughout your text and outline your text and then after doing that you're like okay now i can see the proposition it's a back and forth
4: because it'll, it'll it's almost like the hermeneutical spiral i think we talked about that here where it's yeah one one kind of you get to one point and that kind of uh, helps you figure out the next point and that helps you figure out your so it'll be i'll figure out some parts of my outline but i'll then i'll go back and like, go wait a minute that makes this true about my um, proposition and so on and so forth. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah,
3: no, I I actually do the the same thing, I think, sometimes. Proposition. might be helpful to go over a proposition and what it is one more time, if we haven't done that already. Okay, so Josh, what is a proposition? Proposition is a statement that says to be, know, or do something. So your proposition could be uh, be nice to other people, because Jesus was nice to you. So it's in it's a uh, command and a reason why. That's kind of what I've come to as far as my understanding of what a proposition is. But it, I think I would
0: definitely agree with you that you should
3: get the proposition
0: first, but sometimes, I, I honestly don't see it sometimes. I feel, I think what you were saying, Jeremy, sometimes you, you get the proposition right offhand, mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's really helpful to outline the text so mm-hmm. you can break down what he's saying and in doing that, find the Proposition. How about how about you, Matt? You've been... How many sermons have you preached, do you think, in your life? Probably...
3: At least nine. 20? 20-ish? 16, including John, uh, seven, uh, 24. Okay, Jonah keep going, Josh. First John.
2: Sounds kind I'm just thinking stalker, the right? requirements of the school means... <laughs> so there was that other time that you didn't I know there. I was watching.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but the requirements of the school are 24 times, right? If I have my I math
2: right.
3: Sure. Eight times in... In the preaching class, or is it six times? Eight. It might only be six. Well, that was eight to thirteen. And then for, for each um, commentary, it's eight, at least eight. That's right? what I meant. Just kidding.
0: So anyway,
1: Matt, back to you. I don't know. I don't have a number. I don't keep track.
3: Alright, let's just say, uh, forget uh, that. 30. 30. Thirty.
0: I'm more. <laughs> 30. I'm more meant because you're probably the most experienced at preaching at this table. How do you go about? uh outlining your sermon. That's my question.
3: you take some alphabet cereal, <laughs> toss it up in the air. Oh my goodness. That's a brilliant idea. And then get some milk. What a
2: waste of cereal.
1: <laughs> it's kind of hard. Um again, I'm still working on my own personal uh style and again, I don't want to just say uh, as a personal style like um There's not a way to do it. I've learned that as I continue uh, growing in uh, teaching, preaching and worship, uh, these classes that we have, there's a time when I think I understand what I'm doing and then I realize I need to go back to the basics. Um, So that's going to be the same process for you. You're going to feel like you've grown a lot and then, you know, may not. But I think I agree with uh, Jeremy most consistently in that. I work through the text, I see what the main points are, I see what points are, the subpoints, and I guess really what the details that support that uh, main point are, and I begin to work through that, and that starts dictating how I outline uh, my sermon and how I outline the passage as well. And again, you, you want to take a look at it several times, because as Jeremy says, the The more you become familiar with the passage, the more things are going to become clear to you that weren't necessarily clear at the beginning. Um, So you may, uh, you know, start off with a certain point and you may think that that's the main point of the text. But as you continue working through it, uh, you may realize that that's uh, not the main point of the text, but rather it's uh, something that helps support the main point of a text. Uh, so I really can't tell you, you know, this is A, B, C, and D that I do for outlining, but rather it, it's continuing to, it's a continual process for me. Yeah.
3: It seems like uh, when we're talking biblical preaching, aren't, aren't we already to the point where we kind of have the text outlined, we have the exegetical idea, we have the purpose for the sermon, we have the homiletical idea and the way we're going to preach the sermon. So outlining is actually at the in the book, does he actually use the term proposition? I don't remember seeing that <laughs> It word. seems like when you get to this stage and you're outlining, you're actually outlining with your proposition in mind. But I don't know if he uses that term. Okay. He uses idea. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me like, at least as far as the book goes, at this point, you should have a rough idea of how the text goes, how, you're g- how your sermon's going to go, what your proposition or idea is, and then the outline is actually... Putting those pieces together as you're gonna preach it, mm-hmm. yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's right.
2: Yeah. So just a little bit of clarity on the so the proposition is something that we learn here at the seminary.
3: I believe it's in biblical preaching too. I, I read it there. I read it somewhere. Okay. So,
2: but it, it's a it's a like a rewording of the main idea. So they're kind of interchangeable in the they, in the sense that they communicate the same thing. Uh, but the proposition is how are you gonna word the the main idea in a way that Not re- biblical preaching. Christ-centered preaching. Christ-centered Sorry. preaching, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's basically rewording. So I think in here, in the biblical preaching book, he uses the main idea a lot. So you're trying to figure out what's the main idea of the passage. And then you can go the next, you can go basically another step and say, okay, here's the main idea. How would I word it in a way that, that relates to the audience? And, and probably what the reason we talk about propositions here is because of Christ-centered preaching, which is also <laughs> a, a recommended or required reading. Uh, so that becomes, here's the main idea, Now, how does it apply? Right. So how does it how does and that you play with that a little bit and the phrasing that you use uh, is based on the pulse that you have on the body and what's going to relate to the body. Uh, But I think something else that we learned, I can't remember if it's in biblical preaching or if it's just something that we learned um, in our hermeneutics class uh, the first year I was here. But you have the outline of the text and I'm not sure which uh, where we're at as far as in biblical preaching, but you have the outline of the text. And then you have the theological outline, which basically outlines the theological truths of the text. And then you have your preaching outline. And that's kind of in that progression. So the first thing that you would do is say, okay, now how do I just outline this as it sits in the text? And then what are the theological truths that are being communicated? And can I outline those? Or can I summarize these steps into theological truths? And then my preaching outline, how am I going to communicate these truths to the the congregation? So there's kind of a progression there that you can go through that morphs from the uh, textual outline to your preaching outline might not always change much, but that kind of gets to the point where you're, you're actually wording your outline in ways that relate. Um, so another book that I was reading, uh, talked about in your outline, you want to use phraseology that's going to connect with your congregation and that's where you need to have a pulse on. Mm. Is it, are they all 18 year olds or are they all, uh, senior citizens, right? How, whatever your audience is, is going to kind of determine how you, how you lay your outline out and how you explain it. But there's kind of a progression there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Haddon Robinson gives uh, four ways that actually serve you as the uh, pastor or speaker or or small group leader. And first is that it helps you view the sermon as a whole and unifies the message. Secondly, uh, the outline clarifies in your eye and mind the relationships between parts of the sermon. Thirdly, it crystallizes the order of ideas you're going to present so the listeners can follow. Uh, fourthly, you recognize the places that require additional supporting material. So uh, what your outline should do is it should answer questions, not raise them. Um,
3: do you want to talk about the technical, just putting together an outline? Yeah. As far as you should have the introduction and the conclusion. <coughs> Adam Robinson suggests using Roman numerals for the main, t- uh, main, uh, main points. And the main points should be a f- complete sentence complete thought
2: um what else if you have a if you have an a you better have a b mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah That's i actually I've didn't,
0: i didn't know that until
2: like last week i just found that out or if you have a one you better have a two <laughs> otherwise if you, have, if you have a three you better have a one <laughs> yeah <And> a two.
4: <laughs> that is very true so, so that should be a statement not a question each point yes and actually, one thing I do because I, I struggle with that because I like asking questions in my outline is I follow that because that is what um, uh, um, the book says and our teacher says. And then I'll add off to the side or in a space, a little queue with a question mm-hmm. if I feel like I need to ask yeah. a question there.
1: And one of the things that you want to make sure that you do is each sub point, each uh, helps communicate and clarify the main idea of uh, – you know, a larger point, your first point, your second point, your third point, so on and so forth. And each of your first point, second, third point should also help clarify and support your main idea. If you have a point that is not necessarily the main point of the text, you want to consider what you need to do with that, if that is really necessary to preach, or if that's something that you uh, briefly mention, but not use it as a main point to talk about. The whole outline and your whole points should be driving to one point. Mm -hmm. So if you have too many different things that'll uh, blurry and that'll that'll muddy your main point (laughs) in which your congregation or your class won't really understand what it was that you were talking about because you know.
3: Why are we talking about this? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because
2: Nikki said too. Yeah,
3: he said it's important. I just don't <laughs> know why. But how about uh, so? How about transitions? Speaking so, of transitions, exactly. let's move on to our next subject: transitions. Well, is that a good transition? It's not
0: a next subject or stage, but it's, it's a next another idea.
3: Part of an outline, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so you got the whole thing done: introduction, body, uh, big idea, proposition, uh, conclusion. So how about transitions? How do, you, how do you work them and how do you connect point one and two? Uh, is transition something we really should worry about or, or do we think the congregation can grab a hold of your ideas uh, that don't necessarily lead uh, well into the next one?
4: I have found transitions to be helpful as a point of slowing down where the congregation can almost catch their breath and mm-hmm. um, you help them process what you just said and then you bridge the gap between what you just said and say this is what I'm going to say next.
0: So you're saying some, something like a restatement and then now that we've covered that, this is
4: the next place we're going? Mm-hmm. Or even um, asking a question like, well, if this is true, then what about this? So let's answer that. Okay. So there's, I guess there's various ways you can do it.
3: In biblical okay. preaching, he suggests placing those in parentheses following, or preceding the uh, next point. Just as a matter of how do you technically put yeah. those into an outline. Yeah. According to biblical teaching.
0: Yeah. Do do you guys feel like you struggle with putting transitions into your messages to make it flow well?
3: I don't even think about it in all three of mine.
2: <laughs> it was clear.
3: <laughs> no. <laughs> what did you even preach on? <laughs> the Bible. Yeah. I think I'm gonna work on transitions in my next message. I intentionally to use a in this season of my life i'm going to be intentional about incarnating transitions into my message
0: <laughs> that's a little bit of an inside joke but yeah <laughs> all right so how about stage nine because we got two more stages to cover so stage nine fill the outline with supporting material that explain prove apply or amplify the points uh robinson points to how helpful it is to consider using uh, certain tools in developing your message uh jeremy uh said just before restatement uh definition and, and explanation of terms and also uh illustrations so uh when we're given uh, a message uh when do we know when to give a definition of a theological term maybe uh justification, and what should we maybe assume that the congregation knows what we're talking about, or even is that an assumption we should ever take?
3: Always I- assume. That's what I always say. Always assume. But, they, that they there's know. a caveat. Always but
4: assume what? You better be They right. do or don't know. Just always assume. <laughs> I actually would say the opposite. I would say never assume that they know. Which would be the same as always assuming they don't know. So, <laughs> yes. you can always assume something. It's just what you're assuming. <laughs> yeah. I think you
3: have to assume. Not assume, I guess. You have to... Uh, you can't define everything. I think it's appropriate, for example, when you're preaching on a passage that uses the term faith in a technical way it's very important to define faith in that section in a very technical way but perhaps if faith is kind of ancillary to the main point exactly now what does ancillary mean by the way i don't know uh, but not the main focus <laughs> i don't know it's similar to corollary pluralary <laughs> yeah. this is beyond me but then you might uh, you might just <laughs> assume that the majority of people when you say faith know what you're talking about because that's not the main point of the <clears throat> passage what, what do you guys think about that
4: I just think, and I've, I don't know if I've said this here before, of a time when I was a young Christian and a s- study, and I was asking the man about, well, how does this justification happen? He said, by faith. And, like, yes, well, how does it happen? And with his big grin on his face, he just said, by faith. And I just <laughs> left there completely un- <laughs> bewildered. Like, I'm like, I still don't know what he means. So, and that, I guess it does depend on the circumstances in your audience, but yeah. it, it is important that you be able to and that you be willing to define it. Oh, yeah these terms, yeah. even if you assume that, oh, everyone knows what faith is.
3: I'm just thinking, uh, as I'm preparing for this passage I'm going to preach on English out of Galatians, there are a lot of terms that I could take the time to define, but I have to pick, mm. pick and choose, or I would take too long defining terms, and not long enough explaining the passage itself.
0: Yeah. So how do you... I think I think exactly what you said, just, just knowing your text, knowing what the main idea is, and does this term... Have a significant input to the main idea. So, like, for instance, this Sunday, I'm going to be, or this Wednesday, I'm going to be talking about uh, when I preach on Galatians 6, the last uh, section of it, about um, justification. And that goes along with my proposition. So, uh, even though it's a term many of us are familiar with, I know everyone at the seminary would, uh, in the classroom, would be able to explain it. But there's also going to be kids there who. Uh, are teenagers or even uh, younger than that that aren't really going to be familiar with that term and uh, explaining it is going to be crucial for them to understand because it really supports my main idea.
1: Right. So when you exegete your text, you should also be exegeting your congregation, your Bible study group. And what I mean by exegesis is you should be able to pull out what the text says and you should be able to pull out what your congregation knows as well. So, this becomes easier as you become more familiar with the individuals around. So, if you've explained faith um, and you've gone over a Bible study about faith and, you know, different aspects about that, you may not, um, you know, camp there uh, quite a bit, but you also want to be able to, um, you know, understand that there are individuals and you're hoping that there are new individuals that come into your Bible study, you're coming to your, your, uh, congregation and you want to just be able to maybe not explain it as deeply as you did in other places, be able to give them enough of a working understanding uh, to what this definition is. And then again, I'm of the persuasion that you want to be able to be open to having individuals talk with you after that may not work if you're in a larger setting, but you may just want to, as you, uh, You know, preach, or as you you finish up a sermon, or however it works out best for you, just say if you have any more questions, if you you know don't know what faith means, or if you don't know what justification means, you know, contact either myself or contact one of the elders, or you know, ask some. And hopefully, at this point in time, uh, these new members, these new individuals, are you know welcomed enough, or and your congregation is friendly enough that they may. Turn to someone else and say, "Well, what does the faith mean, or you know, so on mm-hmm. and so forth." So you want to have this kind of inclusiveness of both your sermon and the congregation, so that anyone you come in there will feel free to ask you that question. Mm-hmm. And again, this works out and better. Jeremy
3: was saying, "You better be ready to define those things, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> not, yeah. to, not to, not smile."
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: So
0: yeah, that that's really helpful. That is. Um, so again, uh, this stage nine is about uh, finding supporting materials that explain, prove, or uh, apply, or amplify the points that you've made. How about illustrations? Oh, uh, no illustrations. He gives a really helpful uh, chart on page 112. Um, and, and the main point of the chart is trying to pinpoint the closest uh, relationship you can have uh, between an experience of both the speaker and a listener. So... Uh, he talks about the least helpful, uh, type of, um, illustration you can use is one that the speaker, uh, hasn't necessarily lived, but he's learned. And it's something that the listener has not even lived or learned. And you want to get to the epicenter of where both the speaker and the listener have lived it. Um, of course you can't always get there and it's, and it's okay to
3: like drinking water,
0: drinking water. Yeah. It's something right. both have lived, but maybe, um, Knowing that if you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, that you'll die. It's something that wait,
4: common no, common no. knowledge. This is a bad example. We
3: have not lived that.
4: <laughs> but How could you're you? talking about something that would be common knowledge, <laughs> like uh, basic, like you put your hand on fire, you're going to get burned. Yeah. Kind of thing.
1: So a good rule of thumb is if you're explaining or if you're explaining the details of your illustration to a congregation, that may not be as helpful as something that, uh, they know pretty well, like mountains or, you yes. know, city life or so on and so mm. forth. Uh, knowing the context of your congregation, you where you live.
3: The illustration?
1: Yeah. Yes. So if you're taking five, six minutes to explain what a single detail of your illustration is, um, that's not quite well. And a word of caution, uh, to those of you who are still figuring out how to use trans, uh, not translations, um, illustrations, I would say be careful using your family members um, and using anyone else in the congregation. Um,
3: Unless you hate their guts. That's which okay, then you shouldn't be a pastor. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> okay,
1: keep going. Right. And even if you do, uh, you know, it, it would be nice to let them know ahead of time and get their permission. But even then, don't make a habit of using your family or uh, yourself. Or I guess let me explain that one you don't want to set yourself up in illustrations in which you're elite super smart super athletic so on and so forth or super dumb super unathletic so you don't want to go either the two extremes and puff yourself up to the point where they just you know oh this guy's just you know lying or a it all. yeah at the same time you probably wouldn't even want to do that same with your wife either puff
3: or either build, make her up to be too much mm-hmm. or put her down because it does introduce a level of better than. Or, All
1: right. Yeah. So really be careful when you use other individuals as illustrations and mm-hmm. uh, y- you'll know, um, well, you might not even know. It's good to ask your family members as well how that works out for them. Is they might agree initially but a few years later they may say I really don't like you using me in illustrations all that much it's not very helpful and the congregation sees me as or you know whatever the case is
4: yeah how about uh did you want to say something I was going to say and also illustrations should be brief uh, they should not take longer than the point you're trying to express I mean I, I once listen to a 20 minute illustration that barely was worth the point that it proved
0: I think barely would probably be an overstatement.
3: You yeah, I mean the perfect. point was barely worth
4: it? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. The point where he could have made the, just said the point it would have been more effective.
1: One helpful thing that individuals always talk about is you should constantly be looking out for illustration, something that catches your interest and have some type of file system. Either you're writing them down and filing them away Or something like that. So if you have something on, you know, jealousy or greed or something like that and there's, you know, uh, a newspaper article or, you know, an Internet article, you might want to just consider that, uh, you know, file it away for later and have some type of system for your illustrations as well. So when you're preaching on a passage about greed, when you're preaching on a passage about idolatry or, you know, so on and so forth, you have a nice little file system already for you that you can just pull it up refresh yourself on what that illustration is and then go ahead and use it. Also, Christian biographies are also pretty helpful Mm -hmm. to explain uh, some Christian truths that you're trying to talk about. You know, if you're talking about missionaries, for example, on Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20, you might want to consider different missionaries who have gone out and done different things and how it's Mm -hmm. impacted that culture and those different things. So you might just, again... The whole world's in illustration. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. Use your discernment and also prepare for illustrations uh, in future sermons and so on and so forth.
3: And probably understand what an illustration is meant to do, which yeah, I wrote this down. Uh, um, it's helping the preacher bring abstract ideas to earth by applying the idea to experience.
2: I like to uh, I like to do what Matt was saying and look around and, and just keep an idea of what, what are good illustrations. And then once I have a really good illustration, I like to look for a passage that I can um, use for the <laughs> illustration. Oh,
4: yeah. Yes, that's right. I've done that before. I was um, reading a song... And while reading of the illustration, and a good illustration popped in my head, so I wrote it on a card and stuck it in that place in my Bible.
2: Oh, I was talking about, like, if I find an illustration and then flipping through the Bible oh, and oh, finding okay. a place for that illustration and then just preaching the text sure. from there. That's
4: probably the best way
3: to to prepare a sermon series, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> this is just based on my series of illustrations that I
4: have recorded over the past year. I think it also helps to— We're joking. Um, I, I, I think we talked about this, or maybe Matt— uh, mentioned something, something about this um, that knowing your audience <laughs> is yeah Matt did say to executing your audience for illustrations knowing your audience is good too yeah um, I could make a boat illustration on the eastern shore yeah. Yeah. I couldn't make a boat necessarily a boat illustration here I mean maybe some people would get it um, I like Lord of the Rings and I'm inclined to use those but not everyone knows Lord of the Rings so <laughs> yeah so i have right. I've had to stop myself from using those illustrations. Or you should just get everybody to, to be familiar with Lord of the Rings. So
2: maybe part of a Sunday school series could be, I want to use these illustrations. <laughs> so for the next however many weeks, we're going to work our way through this. And then you guys are all going to understand my illustrations from here on out. That sounds great. Because I refuse to change.
3: <laughs> I've heard of pastors who have used football illustrations oh, yes. to an audi- uh, audience, congregation. In front of a congregation, we're full of more like... Um, you know, homeschooling-type families that don't really watch what? football?
2: What does that mean? No, I I adamantly deny that homeschooling no, no. families are no, not no, like football. No, no,
3: no. That is a no. major false dichotomy. No, no, it's, a, it's a sub subgroup of homeschooling fan,
2: families. There you go. Okay. They
3: don't really follow or know football. And so if you're preaching to a bunch of people that don't follow or don't understand, I don't understand,
4: football, I don't understand the, the subgroup thing. I realize
3: it doesn't compute in your <laughs> mind. Of course, at
4: the same time, there's also a responsibility of the congregation to try and to at least try and do the work of understanding what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. If someone in the congregation says, "I don't know that," and cuts shuts their ears up, then there there's a problem there as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, your pastor's going to use uh, football illustrations every now and then. Try and understand what he means.
3: Or Marvel, <laughs> or yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yes, I agree. Or yeah,
0: it's it's really hard to get an illustration that every single person in the congregation from Pop age stars. from age five to one hundred is going to be able to understand. Japanese anime. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, so for sake of time, let's go to, to the last stage, which uh, it might sound simple and uh, something you might wait, be able wait, to do. S-
3: Before you go to the last stage, go, yeah, go ahead. can we say what the chapter title is? Start uh, with sure. a bang and quit all over. Yeah, all right, I, I just like that a lot. Even hearing that, I still don't understand. You start with a bang illustration and you quit all over conclusion. You want to make them both. Um, awesome. Yeah, I,
0: for lack of a better word, I don't get the quit all over. I just, I don't understand. That's, but that's fine. That's on. That's on me. So, stage ten, preparing <laughs> the introduction and the conclusion of the sermon. So, Haddon Robinson said that the listener is going to decide within the first thirty seconds if he or she is going to listen to the preacher, uh, and an, an effective introduction commands attention. Um, so, when you guys are doing the the outline. When does this come in? Do you do this? Uh, is this the first thing you do? Do you, do you immediately start with an introduction, form your body, and then get the conclusion? Or are you more prone to uh, maybe getting the proposition, forming the outline, and having the introduction and the conclusion come at the end?
1: Perfect. So, again, it's, it's hard to outline you know, A, B, and C. Uh, for some individuals, having an introduction is a good starting point for them. Um, Other individuals having an uh, introduction and conclusion at the end is helpful as well. Or you may start working on the body itself and then realize that you have a good illustration or a good point to make in your introduction and then go and write it. Um, So there's different ways to do this. Um, I think that uh, if you're starting off and you're still trying to uh, come up with a good way of outlining and coming up uh, with a good way of, you know, putting these pieces in your mind, working with the body first, taking care of all of that, and then working on the introduction and conclusion is helpful. Because an introduction helps grab the attention of what your body is. And if you don't know what your main point is, what your proposition is, if you don't know your main points, if you don't really know some of these different things, you'll have a hard time, coming up with an introduction that introduces something that you're still unfamiliar with mm-hmm. likewise with a conclusion you're going to have a hard time concluding ending um an unfinished house you're going to have a hard time concluding <laughs> just this wreckage that you've just thrown on top of your um, you audience
2: well that's one way to describe sermon.
3: <laughs> well here's a, here's a little um uh, on the there. flip side if you uh, if you know what your uh, idea or proposition is and the purpose uh, of the passage and you've got your passage outlined, writing the introduction and conclusion first can help you with your points to ground you in the one main idea that you're trying to get across so you yeah.
0: so if, but if you're struggling with an introduction do you think it's safe to say that to come back to that after you've kind of written out more of the body
3: Probably but yeah, yeah. I, I find I've, I personally prefer. Starting with the end and the beginning. The end and In order okay. to get my, main, my points mm-hmm. to kind of gel with okay. throughout the yeah. sermon. So to tie everything together. But I think it might be just more almost a personal preference type of thing,
2: um, it seems. Well, it, it would be impossible to even attempt the introduction without having a really good idea of what the body of your sermon is going to look like, even if you don't have it flushed out. Yeah. Because you have to know what you're introducing them to. Um, but I like your idea, uh, if you start with the conclusions, I think one of the things that uh, comes up in biblical preaching, if you start with the conclusion, uh, what you're doing is you're basically saying, this is where I want to get them to, mm-hmm. based on what I know the main idea is. And I think that we we, we have to make clear that even if, uh, which my recommendation recommendation would be, start with the conclusion, work on the introduction, and then start putting your, and then start formulating the points of your, or the, like the, uh, the meat of your sermon. But... That doesn't mean that when you get – you, as you're working through that, that you're not going to go back and jump back to the introduction and say, oh, I can kind of reword this a little bit differently or I can go to the conclusion and kind of reword this. And then when I get all done, read through it and then say, oh, I might need to morph this uh, introduction or this conclusion a little bit more so that it kind of all flows. It's just getting – I think that the, the power uh, that the, – the, it's powerful, I guess, as part of the process to just write out, even if it's even if it's not that clear, but just to write out this is my conclusion in the sense of this is where I want to get them to. And this is my introduction in the sense of this is how I think would be a good way to introduce the meat of the sermon as I start to work on it. And I'm going to probably gonna come back and reword it. Mm-hmm. But at least you have that very clear in your mind. Because otherwise what you end up with is how do I just my conclusion becomes a summary like what, what Matt was saying of this all these things I just put together and now I need to figure out how to summarize them rather than making them fit my conclusion, which should be a direct reflection of the main idea. So I think it is good to have that as a framework before you get too deep into it.
3: What makes a good introduction?
2: Yeah, Adam
4: Robinson Once Upon says, a Time says what it is. Something that <laughs> grabs the attention of the audience in a few in the first few seconds.
3: Yeah. The hey. first twenty five words I think uh, if I remember right. I th- I remember first thirty seconds, but maybe first twenty five words but you have to make them want to commit to listening to you
2: for the next thirty minutes. Yeah. So can I throw a tip in here real quick that I read that I think is helpful too. That's a part? Know. Well, I'm going to throw it in there. You guys Think tell me if it's good okay? or not. Here, go ahead. <laughs> May I please? You're good. Well, you're not good. I saw it. it just hit me. This was really good. Um, no one's good. Wait, what? Did you say I'm not good? Yeah, no one's good. good. <laughs> as, a, as a sinner. Um, so there, there's what you say matters. Obviously, that's what we're talking about, right? What are you going to say in your introduction? But how you say it. Is also very important. So one of the a very critical part of of uh, preaching is having is having your introduction so well ingrained in your mind mm. that you don't have to read it, right? Because one of the ways that the audience is going to connect in the first thirty seconds is: Are you looking at me and are you addressing me? Mm. So to be able to walk away from your Bible and to be able to walk and just talk to the con- congregation and and connect with them uh, mentally and with, and with your eyes to be able to say, I'm talking to you. Um, we're having a conversation here this morning and you matter to me while you're doing your introduction is part of capturing their attention in that first 30 seconds. So it's, it's what you say, but it's also very much how you say it.
0: Yeah. I really like that, that having it, that particularly definitely memorized because you can really emphasize where you're going to be going and look people in the eye, which matters uh, more than, than we could ever actually, well, we could know how much it matters,
2: but it's really important. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> More than we could ever imagine. What well, we can imagine,
1: we could know. One thing you want to do when you conclude as well is make sure you quit. Don't say yeah. lastly or finally, and then continue on for another fifteen minutes. You know, have a a good, clear, succinct thought, a uh, uh, succinct conclusion, and then leave it. Don't say oh. and continuing on, no. and then go for the next ten minutes because whatever you've just done, whatever you've packaged up. Um, for the congregation and your main thought your proposition your restatement whatever it is that you've done will get lost because you've added more information for them to process so whatever clear understanding they had is lost by you continuing on yeah right of that
3: so uh the introduction wise when should you read the sermon text
4: what I do the is. The Bible, sorry. Yeah. What I like doing because it gives people the chance to turn to it is I'll say, turn your pages, your Bible to this chapter, and while you're turning there, I give my introduction mm-hmm. yep. yeah. and then I go to the text. That's good. good. I like it.
0: Uh, so, for, for sake of time, the, uh, he, he says effective tools that you can use for your introductions are paradoxes, uh, rhetorical questions, startling facts or statistics, provocative comments, humor, a story uh, confronting statement or the passage, uh, itself. Uh, so that's nice the start with the bang part. Start with the bang. And all this is done to uncover a need of the listener.
2: Yeah, that's huge.
0: Um, now for the conclusion, um, the conclusion should be something that again, just like the introduction is well thought out. You know exactly what you're going to say. You don't want to be wandering for the conclusion to try to nail it down. You want to have it, uh, be there. It's get, It's got to be powerful. It's the last words that the congregation is going to hear from the speaker. <clears throat> And it's definitely not the time to introduce new information. Uh, It should be a summation of everything or uh, the main points that you uh, covered throughout the sermon. So for uh, effective conclusions, Robinson suggests a summary, an illustration, a quotation, a question, a prayer, specific directions, uh, or visualization. So uh, just last question for you guys. Um, How do you guys normally go about concluding your message? Do you use any of those particular strategies that he said, or do you go a different route? Okay. Peace out. So not prayer.
3: Just peace out. Peace. peace
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening. I'm done. Walks
3: off stage. Okay. I don't have Um, much to say about conclusions yet.
4: (laughs) Usually for me, it's a, um, like my last sermon that I preached, it was a call to those who are Christians to trust in Christ and a call for those who are listening, who might not be Christians to consider this Jesus and that he just basically not really just a call to faith for both Christians and un- unbelievers. And I ended on a, what I, I like to try and like to end, like I like trying to end on a ringing note.
1: Right. And or we that said that sense. the yeah. propositions to be no, to do so you might want to restate your proposition and, As Jeremy says, exhort them based on what you're calling them to do in the text. Know Christ, uh, you know, be prayerful, and, you know, different things like that. Let them know what you're talking about. And also call them to reflect on what truths they've heard today. You don't just want them to leave what you've preached alone, you want them to reflect and uh, consider it a little bit longer. Um, even as you're just kind of walking away from the pulpit.
2: Something else that uh, Dr. Dwight has said that I think, so my personal preference is, um, which I'm still working on this, but to be concise and to to lay out the truth as clearly uh, and as boldly as as possible at the end. This is what we've talked about. This is why it matters. And then I prefer to finish up, so, so let's pray. Right, and let's finish with the prayer. Give you, and the part of the prayer is praying for God to work that into the lives of mm-hmm. those that have just heard it. But one thing that Dr. Dwight has brought up that is also, I don't think it should be used or necessarily needs to be used every time, but is also helpful is to maybe uh, read a passage of scripture, or not a passage, a section, like a verse or two, uh, that may not be a, directly from your passage. Uh, so he would say, like, maybe you could read like a couple verses from a psalm to finish up if it, if it helps make your point uh, or you could just read your passage again and then go into prayer. So there's a couple of different things that you can work in there to kind of keep it uh, fresh with each sermon. Uh, But I think that uh, introducing God's word at the end may not be a bad thing as long as, well, obviously it's not a bad thing, but as long as you're not making it so overwhelming that like what Matt said, all of a sudden they're forgetting what you just said. But if it, if it clearly illustrates your point uh, with the authority and the power of God as his word, I think it can become uh, a useful tool in the conclusion also
3: in one of my three or two I did that <laughs> <laughs> was teaching or teaching Exodus 32
2: mm-hmm.
3: so I just read 1 Corinthians 15
2: yeah um, 6 through 10 or something like that yep. yeah. and that can be a powerful way to, to end yep that's
3: yeah. one way to do it so to conclude this podcast and the conclusion should not contain new
2: materials so Nick you know what makes it to hard to con- you know what makes it hard to conclude <laughs> is when someone else keeps <laughs> jumping in on your conclusion Yeah. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> it, it takes all that's
3: been said and seeks to ground
2: it in the mind of the hearer. Good luck. Take everything that we've said and ground it. Man, and there's a little I, bit, I bit more to the book, said.
3: actually. A little bit more, right? Like the dress of thought, how to preach so people will listen. But this is the gist of it. So you can yeah. conclude. Okay.
0: Well, stage seven talked about the homiletical idea and how you should use that to accomplish the purpose of your sermon or message. Uh, stage eight, having decided how the idea must be developed to accomplish your purpose, you're going to outline the sermon and then fill out your outline with supporting materials that explain, prove, apply, or amplify the points. And very importantly, stage 10, preparing the introduction and the conclusion of the sermon. So again, all these stages are going to be in the show notes along with the previous three episodes that we did for this this will conclude uh biblical preaching and our series on that and we hope to see you again next time or that you'll listen to us again because you can't see us so just listen to us again
3: all right here we go all right (laughs) itunes rate and review us on itunes please or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts google play stitcher
2: whatever check your check your um username and just make sure that we're cool with it
3: yeah (laughs) please don't put bad usernames up
2: if you, you just mind. you never know like if you haven't used your itunes account in a while you might not know what your username <laughs> is so when you go to post it make sure you just know what it is
3: uh, <laughs> also you can check us out on facebook that's practically theologians and twitter at p theologians and we have an email that you can send comments to or ideas for future topics that's podcast at practically theologians.org any other comments gentlemen
2: if you want swag, if you want to purchase some swag, we don't have any. So but let us know if you'd like some.
3: <laughs> we we'll get some more of that.
2: We have Sharpies and we have white t-shirts. So we are we are a yeah. custom swag have, like, shop. What,
3: 20 users. We yep. have a
0: lot of uh, serious beanies that, and beanie jeans <laughs> oh. and the bands. Oh. Yep. <laughs> <All right. laughs> See you next time.